0: Okay, we're recording. Hello, everyone. Girls, Hello, and gays. Hello, girls,
1: gays.
0: Bays, everyone. Welcome All of the above. to Rate to Ray Recreate. I'm Sammy Purcell.
1: And I'm Logan Keller.
0: And we're back for the last episode of the season, episode insane. 16. 16.
1: 17, if you count our little bonus episode.
0: I know. That's <laughs> crazy. We've been so busy. It's insane. I know. Um, hey, Logan. Yes, Sammy. Where's the worst place you've ever lived?
1: (laughs) Oh, wow. That's a good question. Um, I'm gonna say, I'm not gonna say, so I grew up in Dallas. I'm not gonna say Dallas. I'm just gonna say Texas.
0: Because really,
1: at the end of the day, Dallas isn't, like, that bad. But of the places, I've lived in Dallas, Nashville, New York, Copenhagen and Taos New Mexico and Dallas is definitely my least favorite of those so
0: just saying I know it's so hard for me to answer because I've never like hated anywhere mm-hmm. that I've lived I've liked everywhere I've lived but I guess like the least liked I don't know I guess Smyrna. I don't really know. Like, that's my hometown, but I don't. I don't hate Smyrna. I like Smyrna. So. Yeah,
1: that's how I feel. I'm like I don't yeah. hate Dallas, but like I of all the places I listed, if I were to like move somewhere, Dallas would be the very lowest on the list.
0: Hmm. Got it. Got it. Well, hopefully, everywhere we've lived is better than both of these <laughs> places that we'll be discussing. So, for anyone who is new to the show, what we do here on Rate, Debate, Recreate is we each pick a show based on a category. We rate that show on a scale of 1 to 10, debate which one is better, and then think of one aspect we would change, and recreate it. This week's category is Where Would You Rather Live?
1: (laughs) (laughs) This is one of my favorites.
0: (laughs) It's pretty good. And my show is Oklahoma! (laughs) point.
1: And my show is Hades Town.
0: It's a tough question. Awesome. It's honestly especially like the Oklahoma that is portrayed in this particular show, tough choice, I would say. Yeah,
1: and Hades Town isn't much better, but you're like, hmm, which where where would I rather live? I don't know.
0: Which would be worse? There's like a speakeasy in Hades Town? I don't know. Um I'm excited. I think these shows have, like, weirdly more in common than I thought when I first... Yeah, I
1: agree. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay, so let's get started with a little summary. Uh, I'll do Oklahoma exclamation point first. So, this, I didn't actually know this, this was Rodgers and Hammerstein's first joint musical. Like, before this, they had done things with other collaborators and stuff like that, but this was their first musical together... Music and lyrics by Roger Hammerstein and book by Hammerstein, Oscar Hammerstein II, that is. And it is set right outside Claremore in um, Oklahoma and Indian Territory. So it was before Oklahoma was a state. And it follows the story of Lori, a farm girl, and her two suitors, Curly and Judd, who, like, Curly is a cowhand and Judd is a farmhand. I'm not really sure what the difference between those two things are, is. But we're going to go with it. I'm assuming, like, cowhands rope cows, farmhands work on the farm,
1: right? <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, cool.
1: That's actually pretty right, yeah.
0: Okay, I, I mean, that's what like, it sounds like. I don't know. Anyway, so it was also famously choreographed by Agnes DeMille, and it was the first time she'd ever choreographed something for Broadway. She'd done ballet, like, she was with, um, I think, the American Ballet for a long time, like, famous choreographer, really prolific, And she choreographed, like, dozens of other musicals after this. So, like, Carousel, Boogadoon, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, 110 in the Shade, just, like, a ton of other shit. And this is also where we get the famous Dream Ballet. Um, So there's a Dream Ballet in Oklahoma towards the end of the first act. And that is, like, a staple, I feel like, of musical theater now. There are a ton of Dream Ballets. The musical itself is set in 1906. We open with a cowhand named Curly, famously singing Oh, What a Beautiful Morning, we meet Aunt Eller mm. and Lori, her niece. I'm also gonna go kind of deep on this because I think it's like re- relevant to what I'm gonna discuss later. So, okay, we're gonna cool. go kind of in depth. So, again, we meet Aunt Eller and Lori, her niece. Curly and Lori are like sort of flirty, but like he's kind of negging her. She's kind of negging him back. Like they're a little bit adversarial as well. Curly asks Lori to go to the box social, which is like this dance, but also the girls have to make picnic lunches and the boys get to bid on the picnic lunches. It's the whole thing. She says, no, you've waited too long. They have, like, kind of a little spat. He tells her he's, like, gotten up, like, a whole carriage for her and sings Surrey with a Fringe on top, and she kind of makes fun of him for it. So then, even though he was telling the truth, he'd, like, already rented a carriage. He's like, oh, never mind, I was just making it up. And they, like, have a little fight. Later, Judd, who works on the farm, also asks Lori to the dance. He's kind of a menacing guy. Like, he's a little scary. He keeps himself. He's a little quiet. But she accepts... So Wikipedia says at this point she accepts to spite Curly, which I think is true, but I also think there's more to it, and we'll get into that. Next we meet Will Parker, who's just gotten back from Kansas City. Um, He's in love with a woman named Ado Annie, and her father says, well, you need $50 if you want to marry her. That's like $1,400 today. And Will says, well, I got $50, but I spent it all on presents for Annie and you. And her dad's like, well, no dice, sorry. Meanwhile, Edo Annie has been spending a lot of time with this guy named Ali Hakim, who's like this traveling salesman, while Will's been away. And she tells Lori, like, I'm in love with both of them. I just can't say no. It's a song she sings. And that trio functions as sort of like the comedic side group for the length of the show. After singing a duet, people will say we're in love. Curly is sort of hurt that Lori has refused to go to the dance with him, but she's going to go with Jed. He's like kind of upset about it. So he goes to Judd's house and he sings a song where he's basically like, Wouldn't it be awesome if you were dead? Like, wouldn't that be cool if you just <laughs> killed yourself? That would be so cool, right? Which we'll talk about. And they sort of get into a confrontation about Lori. A shot goes off. They're like shooting at a target, and a bunch of people, including Lori, show up. They all leave. Judd sings a song called Lonely Room and like vows he's gonna make Lori his wife. Lori is kind of all confused at this point. She doesn't know what's going on, who she likes, and she buys a magic potion from Ali Hakeem. I think it's, like, laudanum. That's what Wikipedia says. And he tells her it'll help her find her true love, and that's when the famous dream ballet comes in. When she wakes up, she realizes she loves Curly, but it's too late. She's got to go to this thing with Judd. At the social, Curly and Judd get into a pretty intense bidding war over Lori's lunch, and Curly ends up winning, but he, like sells his horse sells his saddle sells his gun he like sells everything he owns basically and this is an important point that's gonna come up in my discussion part so at this moment Judd like attempts to kill Curly I think like unequivocally he or attempts to like seriously harm him with this like mm-hmm. trick thing he has bought where you like look through it and then someone presses a button and like a knife gets you in the eye or something like it's pretty brutal he attempts to do that it doesn't work Um, Judd takes Lori home, he confronts her about her feelings for him, she says she doesn't have any, he gets pretty upset by that, he's threatening towards her, and then he leaves, she fires him. Curly shows up, he and Lori confess their feelings for each other, yay! Three weeks later, they're about to get married, Curly and Lori, and Judd shows up drunk to the wedding, he kisses Lori, he, like, punches Curly, Curly and him basically get in this huge fight, a knife is pulled, a scuffle is had... Judd falls, question mark, on the knife. (laughs) It's sort of like ambiguous as to if like Curly stabbed him deliberately or it was an accident. I mean, they have a knife, you know, and Aunt Eller declares that we should hold a trial. It's kangaroo court. It's not real. And they find Curly not guilty and everyone's happy, question mark. And that's what happens in Oklahoma. So we're going to talk a lot about that. I'm gonna give I'm gonna give this production like a nine and a half out of ten I have one really specific gripe um, Surrey with the fringes on top Surrey with a fringe on tops don't know where the plural goes there but I'm gonna give Oklahoma as like a concept and a musical a 10 out of 10 because I think it has like so much to parse through and it's really fun because of that
1: um
0: Mm-hmm. I feel like 10, the, maybe? the latter
1: half of this season, like not even the latter half, the latter like quarter, has had some really banging, like stellar oh, yeah. shows.
0: Oh yeah, we're getting into the bangers section of the yeah, season. Yeah,
1: we really are. Okay, I can talk about Hades Town for a second. So, um, Hades Town is based on the. Oh wait, actually, before I do this, I I wanted to talk about a connection between Hadestown and Oklahoma, like an actor connection. So Ooh. the original off-Broadway actor that played Orpheus in mm-hmm. Hadestown played Curly in the revival of Oklahoma and was nominated. Oh. Um, his name is Damon Dono.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Dono, cool.
1: Dono something, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, okay, anyway. So <laughs> Hadestown is based off of the Greek myth Or it kind of morphs together two Greek myths that were one story. Uh, But one relationship is between Orpheus and Eurydice. Um, Orpheus Orpheus is like a musician. He's like this optimistic person and is writing this kind of like unfinished song that eventually does become finished. And Eurydice is like the heroine. She's like this loner that's always been alone and has struggled to survive and um, eventually gets taken down to Hades town. Then there's Hades and Persephone. So Hades is the god of the underworld and of the dead. He, like, rules Hades' town, and he is in a relationship with Persephone. And Persephone is, like, the queen of the underworld as Hades' wife and also the goddess of the seasons. And she is a lot more free-spirited. She's responsible for spring, et cetera. And then Mm -hmm. the other two main Greek figures in this are Hermes, who's, like, the god of, like, communication, roads, traveling, and the Fates, who are, like, the goddesses of fate itself. So the story follows those six characters. For the most part, is pretty true to the original story, just with, like, a, the setting kind of not being ancient Greece and yeah. taking place more in, like, a, a jazz Louisiana, like, inspired area or whatever place, mm-hmm. setting um and so the story basically follows Eurydice going to hell uh or to the underworld to Hades <laughs> hell is not really the right word no. um hell is so based I feel like in Judeo-Christian values and that's not really what it is in
0: the Hades. underworld yeah the
1: it's underworld just... yeah anyway Orpheus had fallen in love with her on earth and like vows to save her and travels down to the underworld um, eventually, like, after a lot of turmoil, he strikes a deal with Hades where, like, he can, they can both leave, um, but Orpheus has to walk in front, and if he looks behind, then it's over. Like, then she dies, and, and Hades gets to keep her. But if he doesn't, and they get out all the way, then they're saved.
0: And it's, like, a trust thing, right? Like yeah, it's is Like, thing. if you trust me, you won't look. Like,
1: exactly. Yeah. All yeah. about trust. And so basically in the myth and in the musical, they get to like pretty much the, the very end and and Orpheus like gets nervous and excited and everything and like looks back and she's still there, but then she dies. Um, so it's a tragedy and they tell you yeah. that from the start. So that's the very basic premise. I'm going to really, 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 really explore the show a lot further than that surface level storytelling in my, like, debate section, but for now, that's what I'll say, because that's the basic premise. And I am going to give Town also 10 out of 10 Ivo <laughs> Yes, Ivo Spe- In general, like, period, but specifically the, like, iconic uh, I'm coming, wait for me. I, he- I feel like oh. that... Yeah, Chills. it's just insane. I also should say that I was... Lucky enough to see the original Broadway cast mm-hmm. um, on Broadway, and it was incredible.
0: Yeah. So, I have not seen the original Broadway cast on Broadway. Um, but, I, for this week, I was able to, like, I've listened to that cash recording a billion times. Yeah. Like, I, I really love it. Like, 10 out of 10 music. It's so good. And I watched a bunch of clips. And I was a nerd and really into Greek mythology as a child. But I feel like so are a lot of kids. So Yes, I am a huge fan
1: of <laughs> Yeah.
0: So it was a familiar story. And I really love the music. I feel, I might have done this in the past. But I feel weird giving a 10 out of 10 to something. To I show you seen. haven't seen. Yeah. So I think like music, t- I love the music. Like 10 out of 10. And I think it really is like cohesive. And it, I love the, like, it feels sung through. Is it sung through? basically it's
1: actually not
0: interesting because it connects so well it feels it does it's
1: it's it's like not sung through but it's also not not I mean like it's objectively not but like it has the vibe like the flow of yeah
0: it has the vibe so I think like music wise I am like up there 10 out of 10 it's almost perfect so great but what about Oklahoma for you
1: okay so we know I have a thing about like the classics I'm typically (laughs) not a big fan of the classics. Mm -hmm. That being said, I'm going to give Oklahoma a 10 out of fucking 10 because it is is the classic among classics, and it's the blueprint. It's my favorite classic musical, like, period. And not that it's, like, without flaws, but for the most part, I think it, it, like, truly revolutionized musical theater. I think it introduced so much... Um, sp- especially with dance, which is so special to mm-hmm. me, and like I think now is literally inseparable from theater. Mm-hmm. It's it's the blueprint. I yeah. So I'm also giving yeah. a ten out of ten.
0: It's also it's the blueprint for like the dance is there, but it's not dance break. It's like dance to yes. dance the plot, dance to move along the plot, like an actual like,
1: sometimes what some yes. what people say Sondheim did. For, like, music and theater, I think Oklahoma did with dance and theater.
0: Oh, I just know. Just, like, she is the blueprint.
1: <laughs> oh, my gosh.
0: Okay, so I have a lot to say. So I'm going to kind of start with, like, why I really love Oklahoma and why I think, like, I guess, like, 10 out of 10, I guess I don't mean that's, like, it's a perfect musical. It has no flaws. But I just mean, like, it means a lot to me, personally. Yeah. And also, like, it... I think there is so much. I think it's so smartly done. There's so much subtext. There's so much to parse from it. And so I'm going to start with, like, why I like it so much. I'm going to move into um, kind of the source material and, like, a little bit of history on it. We're going to talk a lot about Judd because I think he's, like, the most pivotal, important character Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. And then just kind of go, like, revival changes because the 2019 revival was pretty, like... A big deal as far as like what it changes and what it doesn't importantly, and then I'm just gonna talk about like why I like the one we watched. So I got a lot to say, but we're gonna get through it. So to start, I really love the contrast of how Oklahoma th- Oklahoma is thought about in the popular consciousness and what Oklahoma actually is, and I feel like a lot of Rodgers and Hammerstein musicals do this. Like people are like the classics, like South Pacific and Carousel and Oklahoma. And these stories aren't even, like, low-key dark. They're very dark.
1: Mm-hmm. Like, South
0: Pacific, is, South Pacific is a lot about racism. Carousel is about, like, domestic abuse and has, like, real violence in it. And so does this story. This story has, like, a ton of violence in it. Yeah. But for some reason, people look at these and they think, oh, classic America, like, look at the olden times, blah, blah, blah. And I think Oklahoma is, like, at its core, a story about who we treat as outsiders and who we don't, and like why those differences are often just completely arbitrary and superficial. Like, as a society, who do we choose to other and why? And I think you can extrapolate a lot from this story and just from the script itself. So we're gonna get into the 2019 revival, which I think is important to this. But yes, yes, which I haven't seen. So we're just gonna like, talk I know, I'm, like, I about it. No, I haven't either. Yeah, I know. I, r- I really want to. But so apparently the script in that version is not changed at all. That's according to a Vulture article by Frank Rich, who I'm going to reference that article a lot during this conversation. Um, it was kind of like a review slash like, conceptualization like piece all about like the history of the show and the revival, um, which is directed by Daniel Fish, I believe. So I'm going to use that article a lot. But according to him, they do not change the script at all. There's like one kind of major thing they change – instead of the murder being framed as like, "Hmm, maybe it's an accident. Whoops. Curly shoots Judd. Like it's very meditated. He does it. It's not an accident at all. And Judd's characterization is kind of like thrown for a loop a little bit, which we'll talk about, but that's not done through changing the script. That's done through like casting and direction and through just like acting choices. So that means like all that subtext is there it's just a different interpretation based on what's already in the text, which I think is amazing. So I feel like Oklahoma has had a bit of a renaissance, too, since the survival came out. Like, people are suddenly like, oh, wait, there's a lot more going on here than I originally thought. It's, like, being used in TV and movies in interesting ways. Like, it um, was pretty prevalent in the first couple episodes of Watchmen on HBO. Really prevalent in the end of I'm Thinking of Anything, uh, Charlie Kaufman film that came out last year. And this is a quote from that Frank Rich article, which again I'll be quoting a lot, but he says the musical celebration of the platonic ideal of great America was qualified by a brutal acknowledgement of how cruelly America can fall short, which Mm -hmm. I think is really great and really true and I just, it baffles me that people, I don't know if it's just because they like haven't seen it in a while and that's what they remember from when they were kids or like they've never seen it and they just think Rodgers and Hammerstein The Sound of Music or Cinderella or like some of their more I guess, sanitized shows. I don't know. But I don't know. It's weird. So to get into the history of this a little bit. So this is, again, pulled from that article. So Oklahoma's source material is a play from 1931 called Green Grove Lilacs. It's by Lynn Riggs, who grew up in Oklahoma. He was born in about 1899. And his mother was one-eighth Cherokee. His mother died when he was fairly young, and his father sort of rejected him he was also gay, so he felt like a bit of an outsider his whole life and kind of spent like life on the outskirts, which I think is important to like know and think about, and I think adds a new layer when it comes to Oklahoma being about like who we choose to other. He moved away from Oklahoma fairly early on, so he went to Chicago, he went to California, and he really didn't go back, but he kept writing primarily about Oklahoma. So he wrote a ton, he was a playwright, he was a poet, but he is basically mostly known for being the inspiration for Oklahoma at this point. Um, And he said he kept writing about Oklahoma primarily because he knew people there and, like, it was easy to base things off of them. But he also has this quote, which I kind of want to read. It so happens that I mostly knew the dark ones, the unprivileged ones, the ones with the most desolate fields, the most dismal skies. And so it isn't surprising that my plays concern themselves with poor farmers, forlorn wives, tortured youth, plowhands, peddlers, criminals, slaves... With all the range of folk victimized by brutality, ignorance, superstition, and dread, will it sound like an affectation? It most, sure, it most surely is not if I say that I wanted to give a voice and a dignified existence to people who found themselves most pitiably without a voice when there is so much to be cried out against. That kind of makes me want to cry. It's really sweet. Wait,
1: that's... Who's that? Lynn Riggs said that?
0: Yeah. Like, that's why you are complaining about people from Oklahoma.
1: Yeah. Wow.
0: And in this play you have kind of two outsiders, right? You have Ali Hakim um, and Judd, And Ali Hakim is sort of... He feels, like, sort of in on the joke a lot. Like, he kind of functions as, like, audience kind of a little bit. Like, look at all these fuckers. And there are, like, racial implications there that are kind of weird. But he mostly functions as, like, the person who knows what's going on and who sees this for what it is, I feel like. So it's, like, that subject of an outsider, and he has the ability to leave. Like he tells Ado Annie, like, ah, you shouldn't marry me. You should marry Will. And he gets out of town. I think he marries someone else actually. But um, Judd, on the other hand, like, does not have the ability to leave this place like Ali Hakim does. So getting into Judd, Judd is the outsider, and he's also based on someone Riggs knew in her life, Jatar Davis, J E T E T A R. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. It's a man from the 1800s, so who knows. He was the town drunk where riggs grew up and notably i think notably half cherokee Mm. and i think the article kind of goes into how this show leaves a lot of the actual like brutal violence that would have been going on against native people at the time to the side and kind of on the outskirts like this is set before oklahoma was a state but not long after the government made it so like and like curly and white men could come and take land for themselves, right? So it's like a weird plan history. And the show really doesn't focus on that at all. Like it just focuses on this town, but I think like brings in themes of uttering and of uttering. Uttering and violence. <laughs> I was like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> Without kind of showing that brutality that's on the outside. And Hammerstein apparently was like really worried about including Judd because of how dark the character is. So he's, if you haven't seen it, he's usually portrayed as kind of lumbering, intimidating, big, like quiet in a way where I think we're supposed to insinuate that he's not very smart. And he talks a lot about how he like hates Oklahomans. They've never treated him right, et cetera. And he's very dismissive of some of their issues. At one point, he laughs about a fire that killed some people and how stupid they were. And like, he's very dismissive of these people because they're dismissive of him. Mm-hmm. He has girly pictures up in his room. He also represents like sort of a strange, like almost like taboo sexual impulse as well. And because of all that, he was like really worried. <laughs> he was like, this feels like a little too heavy for like people who are coming to the theater to see a musical. So to humanize Judd, he gave him two songs. So we've got poor Judd is dead, which is the duet between Curly and Judd where Curly is like, Hey, wouldn't it be great if you just like hung yourself? and Lonely Room. So in that Vulture article, Frank Rich talks a lot about kind of the cliche casting of of Judd and how he's always sort of been lumbering and scary. So it's easy to see why Lori would pick Curly, but it's often hard to see why she would even be interested in the other choice in the first place. Yes. And how that's kind of like an issue for the show. But I think what I've always loved about the I'm gonna call it the Hugh Jackman version, the um, London revival from 1998. Sorry, Hugh Jackman is curly. Love Hugh Jackman. Uh, True. Which I do want to point out that the Wikipedia for like the list of Oklahoma revivals calls this version like the dark themed revival, which I thought was so interesting. Really. Yeah, and it, I mean, because I think, like, the new revival is kind of known as, like, the dark Oklahoma. The sexy. Or, like, the sexy uh, Oklahoma, yeah. yeah. That, too, like, both of them I are, mean, like, <laughs> yeah. Um, dark and sexy. But this Wikipedia page, like, called this one dark-themed as well. So I'm wondering if, like, before this, they didn't really do what Hugh Jackman did, which is what I think is really good, what he does. He really doesn't shy away from showing us that, like, Curly is not that different from Judd. He yeah. May, like, he does not shy away from exactly. that. that He's
1: so unbelievably good in this.
0: He is so good in this. I think it's, like, one of the best things I've ever seen him do, like, to this day. He, like, shows us that not only is Curly, like, also possessive of Lori, really spiteful, and, like, in a way where he looks down at everyone around him, kind of like Judd does, and really the only difference is that I think Curly in this version is still portrayed as, like, a bit smarter than Judd. And, mm-hmm. like, that's, like, the big difference, you know? Yeah. And Curly, again, I have to reiterate, in Poor Judd is Dead, Curly is, like, oh, I'm really pissed at, like, Lori ass, or she said she would go Judd to the ball? Fuck that. Goes to Judd's house, and, like, you can read it as a joke. I don't, I don't know. And even if it is a joke, it's mean, He just, he sings a song where he's like, it would be so great if you just hung yourself because then all the people will come to your funeral and then they would talk good about you. Like, everyone talks bad about you. It's like really manipulative. Manipulative. (laughs) Really manipulative. (laughs) It's really mean. And it's like spiteful in a way that I don't think Curly is often given the space to be With an actor while at the same time having the charm and the like wit and the like warmth of Hugh Jackman. So you get both at the same time, right? You you get like, oh, this guy's hot. Like, I totally get it. (laughs) And then he does this and you're like, what the fuck is going on? But like, both live in your head at the same time. So he's not just charming and like, oh, maybe he's making a mistake. And he's not just like acting like, totally without empathy or any of those things he like holds both in in his hands at the same time and I think that's not something like I've ever really seen anyone do before with this character yeah and like I think that gives Judd the actor who plays Judd um his name is Shuler Hensley like the chance to shine because they do kind of do the standard casting of Judd of like as like an oaf of sorts but I think the fact that he was so good at like holding both of these truths, like allows this guy to shine in a weird way, which is really interesting. And I think that like is cause...
1: Shuler Hensley from Atlanta.
0: <laughs> I have no idea. Is he?
1: I think he is because th- there's the Shuler Hensley Awards, which is like the regional awards in Atlanta for
0: musical theater. Wait a minute. <laughs> <Shuler> <laughs> Sorry, Hensley. Totally I I'm topic, up right now. <laughs> but I was like, oh wait, God. I think he is. Yes, he was part of Atlanta. Wow. Schuler. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> he grew up in Marietta.
1: Damn. Sorry, I'm just learning this
0: right now. Wow, his dad played football for Georgia Tech, and his mom was a ballerina. Wow. She was the founding director of the Georgia Ballet. Wow, sorry. He's an Atlanta icon. <laughs> I should have known that. Um, okay, so... Like I was saying, I just think that, like, Hugh not shying away from the darker aspects of that character paired with the standard casting makes it, like, a much more confusing watch, which I think is a good thing. Like, I think you're drawn in by Curly, but you're also like, that dude fucking sucks. And also, Judd is scary, but I think the actress who plays Laurie, her name is Josephina Gabrielle, is really, I don't know, I can't figure out if I think she's really good at this or I think I've just seen this so many times and it's, like, shot up close that I'm noticing, like, subtleties Mm -hmm. in what she's doing. But I think she's, like, a bit intrigued by him sexually in, like, a weird way.
1: And I think,
0: yeah. And I think it's, like, an exoticized attraction, which is, like, kind Mm -hmm. of another form of othering him a little bit. Like, he scares her and that's, like, a bit dangerous, you know? Um, and I think that shows up in the Dream Ballet, which I'm gonna like talk about a little bit just because I think it's great. But like the way she performs the Dream Ballet, so the section where Jud kind of like takes her to like the bar or whatever, you know what I'm talking about with like yeah. the dancer girls and stuff and like the cowboys. She there's a moment in that Dream Ballet ballet where she is dancing with the other girls and like smiling, like she just starts to smile and then she kind of goes, oh no 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 no, wait, and like wipes it out of her mind. And I think that's, like, the best example of where I think this comes in, but I think it also comes in, like, she sees the kind of girly naked pictures on Judd's wall, and she looks back at him, and she doesn't look afraid. Mm -hmm. She kind of looks like, oh. Like, you know? like. And I think, like, you combine all these things, like, everyone in the town either pities Judd, is disgusted by him, or is, like, weirdly intrigued by him. And that, like, contributes to this, like, sort of mob mentality where, as an audience member, by the end, when Curly kills him, you're thinking, oh, well, Curly's one of us. Like, you feel in on it, in a way. I mm-hmm. think is really smart and well done. Okay, so, that's kind of my main thoughts on Judd. And now I kind of want to go into the revival changes, which focus, I think, mostly on Judd, which is why I talked about him a lot. Um, again, I've never seen this. Sad. But... I would be really interested to see this revival because Judd is, like, sexy in this revival. He is not a lumbering oaf. He's, like, a hot guy. (laughs) He's um, played by Patrick Vale, I believe is how you say his last name, um, who is, like, pale, blonde, soft-spoken, just, like, the opposite of what you think when you think of Judd. You think of, like, dark, lumbering, you know, man. No. (laughs) In a Walter article, Frank Rich talks about how, like, for the first time, you sort of understand why Lori might be attracted to Jed. But I'm interested to see how that might work. Because, again, like, I think the exoticized attraction is something that is, like, kind of inherent to this story. And I don't know, again, I don't know if that's just me, like, really reading into it. But I think it's there if you watch it. Um, Another change, but anyway, so Jed is, like, more of a viable romantic attraction in this version. And he's played more sympathetically and played as, like, Kind of a tragic character rather than a scary one. Again, interesting to see because he does actively try to kill Curly at one point, but fine. (laughs) The other big change, like I said, is that Curly shoots Judd, usually like falls or something on a knife, and then when they sing Oklahoma at the end, Judd like rises from the dead to sing it with them, which (laughs) I think is very, sounds really scary, and there's a quote in that Frank Rich article that I kind of want to end this section on. It says the powerful image of the seething Judd rising from the dead on that bloodied stage demands that you consider all the others in America, whether in Oklahoma or beyond who were ignored, forgotten or simply erased from the feel good official version of the national story that we like to tell ourselves. Which yeah. It's really cool. And I don't know. I, I wonder if there's a way to like maybe more incorporate like, native points of view into this story like for future because I think again I think it is like important that Judd is half Cherokee and that's not something I would have ever known or like the basis for Judd was half Cherokee mm-hmm. so I'd like to see if that would be like possible going forward with some aspects of this show but I think it's like a pretty awesome take on like how we get sucked up into community and how we decide who we care about and who we don't because like if if Judd died, if he was the one who got, or if um Curly died, if he was the one who got accidentally stabbed, no one would care. They would like arrest that guy, take him to prison, you know. Yeah. But yeah, it's just great. I really like this show, and I think I the think revival so. apparently does like super. It also does like super other cool things. Like it's pretty diverse. Um, and it's uh, passing
1: strange.
0: Yes, Rebecca Naomi Jones, back again. She's she's an icon. I really love her. She might be, like, one of my favorite working actresses. But, so, Rebecca Naomi Jones, who's black. Ali Stroker also plays Ado Annie, and she uses a wheelchair. So, she gets to, like, do very cool things with, like, the choreography and movement. And she's amazing. She a Tony. She's absolutely incredible.
1: I think she was also in the um, Spring Awakening revival.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. She was also in Glee. <laughs> she had a little art company wait really yeah she like yes. um has like a fling with Artie at some point oh my
1: god i never put that together yeah
0: <laughs> yeah that's her and then just to end on some things i do you want to talk about what i like about the hugh version as well which i just want to talk about hugh jackman for like a little bit because i just think he's so incredibly charming like i just smile when he's on screen i think he's the best superhero actor in the past 20 years. like, he, And I think a lot of it is because of the musical theater training because he's, like, a little campy. He, like, isn't afraid to go big. And I think he really captures the innate meanness of Curly as well, like, through the charm, which is incredible. I just think he's so, so good in this show. Um, I also wanted to kind of shout out Vicki Simon, who plays Ado Annie in this version. I really enjoyed watching her. But that leads me to my half-point-off for this production, which is Will Parker. I cannot stand this performance.
1: <laughs>
0: I, it, okay, sorry. He was played by Jimmy Johnston. All respect to him. He's a wonderful singer. I thought he had a yeah. wonderful voice. So, Will Parker and Ado Annie, comedic relief, right? Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean you can't, like, kind of, like, pick up on the other themes of the show and, like, the darkness or whatever, but, like, Jimmy feels like he could have been playing Judd. Like, he is, scary like he's very menacing he gets up in her face a lot he never really smiles at her and I think it's supposed to be played as like this like oh poor man she's such a flirt but he is there's like no humor in his performance at all it's like menacing in a really weird way like All or nothing, their, like, comedic thing is supposed to be funny. Like, the little kind of gender role swap line with, like, I want to know your intentions! Like, he gets to scream at her, which I feel Mm -hmm. like is, like, normally, like, something a woman would say. But, like, that's supposed to be funny. And it's just not. He's not funny to me. I I found him really disconcerting. Wow. That's a valid .5 off. Yeah, that's my .5 off. I'm sorry, Jimmy Johnston. I just... It's not... It's not it like he's, like, vibe. a bad actor. It's just a weird choice, and I didn't enjoy it. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's all I got about Oklahoma. I love this show. I think it's, like, just, like, fascinating to me that it's remembered as something that it's clearly not. And I'm glad the revival happened so we can talk about it.
1: Yeah. So one one thing that I'm going to talk about eventually with Hadestown is, like, the importance of stories and, like, retelling the mm-hmm. same story and I think with a lot of like older musicals like there's a reason that like you know over time we funnel stories and some become like the mm-hmm. big ones that are told over time and i think a lot of the older musicals just like aren't stories that need to be told again and again mm-hmm. necessarily without like major reworking and i think mm-hmm. pers- i think oklahoma is a story that can be told in the same way but differently over and over yeah. again. Like, at the end of the day, they're not changing the plot of the story, but it's being told it in all these script. different ways, and people yeah. still relate to it in a lot of, in its different iterations. Um, I think it has done and opened a lot of really amazing doors in musical theater. Um, I think the music, oh, what a beautiful morning. Like, Iconic. what? Yeah, like, yeah. so mm-hmm. good. Um, yeah. I love it.
0: I do, too. I, the music, I just think, I don't know, you think of, like, Oh, what a beautiful morning is beautiful. I love their duet. I love people who say we're in love. Um, but then like lonely room. I can't believe it like wasn't in the movie. I don't think it's in the movie. Cause again, like they've people like get freaked out by Judd. Yeah. So they like kind of sanitize it and like, don't like give him as much time as like he deserves. And I think he is like such an integral, intricate character and like so integral to like this whole story. But I think "Lonely Room" is like the best song on the show, like by far. Wow. Like it's not the one you—it's not the one you think about, or like the one where you're like, "That's like the prettiest one," or the one where like, "That's the one I want to sing all the time." But I just think it's so well written and so like scary and moving, and I really like it. But Sam, yeah.
1: Um, okay, I guess I can move on to Hades Town.
0: Way on down to Hades Town. Way on down to Hades Town. <laughs> um okay your sh- page literally
1: mm. um woo <laughs> before I get too deep one thing well first one thing I just have fun trivia kind of thing about the show that I think is amazing is it was literally worked on Anaya Essential started this in 2006 um wow. and like first performed it in like her local theater in Vermont in 2007 like it has had so much work and growth over the years and I think it shows I think it's an extremely polished polished show um, but another thing is is that in 2010 there was a concept album for the show and Orpheus was voiced by Justin Vernon aka Bon Iver. And oh my
0: gosh. Persephone, that makes sense.
1: I know, and then Persephone mm-hmm. was voiced by um Annie DeFranco. <laughs> oh God. So I just thought that was really cool.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. So Here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to start off just by talking of like my overall vision for why I love this show. And then within that, I think that the show is so much more than the story. So there are a bunch of themes I want to call out. And then I want to tie it all together at the end. So that's going to be, that's signposting this for y'all. I just want to start off, though. What I love about this show so fucking much is that it, through, like, divine storytelling (laughs) through music... Mm -hmm. Um, it tells this like age old story that's a Greek myth. For the most part, doesn't really change it much, but at the same time, completely modernizes it for our world and touches on some like incredibly important and contemporary issues like climate change, labor, politics, so many, so many different things and i think that this show is the pulse of the motherfucking people like i think that this show yeah. will will be remembered as such um i think a lot of pieces of art are remembered as like helping people get through times and i think some pieces of art are, are, are like developing like a collective consciousness and i think that mm-hmm. this falls into that category wow i really i really do so, okay, some of the themes that are super prevalent in this show, climate change, I think is, is, like, one of the really, really big ones, and I don't think it's an accident that the, like, out-of-touch, like, devil god, basically, <laughs> is, like, the one responsible for pri- climate change, A, that he is, like, is exploiting all of these people, promising them the safety net and not providing it for him, to Mm -hmm. increase his own well-being and also on top of that like he is the one that is most responsible and other people don't have any control over that like the people Mm -hmm. up on earth that are dealing with all these ramifications and all the like human effects of starvation and you know these terrible things like Mm -hmm. they have absolutely no ability to make a change because he has so much power in this. So that's like a, a pretty real allegory, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what I, one thing I want to talk with alongside climate change is labor. Because um, I think those two things go really hand in hand in this show. So I love the concept of the underworld of like what we see as hell. I love that being presented as a factory, specifically as a factory that has something to do with like it's not super explicit but I've always took it to be like something with like oil and like mining yeah they
0: look like coal miners yeah it's kind of of like mining
1: um and the labor politics of this all are like so deeply ingrained like hell is literally just like a factory where people don't have Right. So there's a lot of, like, individualism versus collectivism that goes on. And to mm. Orpheus, where I think he comes in, is I think he is, like, the voice of collectivism and of socialism. Spoiler alert, everyone, I'm going to argue that this whole show is basically just, like, about <laughs> socialism and, like, why socialism should... Exists. period this is like um, me talking about dancing, <laughs> yes <but> continue yeah <laughs> exactly that <laughs> um so orpheus i think represents like the the need and want for the collective and like comes down to hell and like literally organizes these fucking workers his his song does that it like kind of wakes them up they're in this like trance like state that they're woken up from and he says some like some of the things Orpheus says just like give me chills and how like simple but like profound they are. Um in in his like song that he's writing throughout the show that is kind of repeated, there's this line um where he's he says, if no one takes too much, there will always be enough. And I think that is like literally what the concept of socialism is. It's like equitable mm-hmm. and equitable distribution and ownership of resources. There's another one that he says to the, the workers where it's he says, let the world we dream about be the one we live in now. Like all these ideals of what society could be like, we have, we are the, now is the ones. <laughs> now is <Yeah>. the ones <laughs> that make it happen. No future.
0: <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think that it's so cool that um, he is, is that. There's also this whole element of othering um, in Hades Town, mm-hmm. where Hades, again, the big, like, greedy individual, is wanting to other, like, it's like, a, it's not even, like, a specific people. It's just, like, it's, it's like, othering everything else. Like, when there's a song, uh, it's, like, Why We Build the Wall, um, mm-hmm. which, again, another Build the Wall song. I feel like this is, like, the third time on the podcast we've had them.
0: I know. Wasn't this again? You said this Again, was Yeah. In like so this one, though, so. much uh, like
1: Shrek the Musical,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the
1: "This Build the Wall" wow. song was written much before um, Trump. But this one's interesting yeah. because it it actually didn't like really play on big stages until after Trump. So it did take on like another hmm. meaning, I think. Yeah. Unlike Shrek, which came out in like 2007.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Famously. <laughs> but yeah, it's
1: it's this whole concept of like, like brainwashing people and and letting go of their individuality for the sake of safety and doing that like their whole purpose of all this mining is to build this wall to keep them safe to keep out the enemy but like the whole time you don't know what they're building a wall from it's just like
0: yeah they're doing
1: it that's where to me Eurydice comes in so Eurydice is like a very I think she represents like individualism um, and Orpheus mm. is like the collectivism to her individualism. And I think for her, her individualism isn't like a selfish thing as much as it is like a, a needs and means to survival. Um, and I think yeah. a lot of this shows that too. Like it's, it talks, it, it shows us what fear of like not surviving and fear of like needing a safety net, like what that can lead us to do in this case, Eurydice to see literally selling her soul, to Hades, Mm -hmm. just to get safety and, like, basic freedoms. And, again, I think it's this, like, myth with, like, capitalism being, you know, something that provides us with the lifestyle that we have, whatever, all this stuff, Mm -hmm. when the reality is, is I think a lot of us are stripped of our creative expression and freedom and individual liberties because Mm -hmm. of our, like, the way that we exist in labor and in the workplace. And capitalism. Capitalism, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I just think that the way this show interweaves climate change, like labor politics, actual politics, like all of these things is so genius. And it's done without much changing of the original story, which takes me to, mm. I want to talk about the original story and it's Greek mythology. So I'm also a huge Greek mythology fanboy. I like literally- yes read it all. I had so many books of like all the different I statements. had a huge
0: book. Yeah. Me too. Huge I wonder it, if it was a coffee same table one. book. It probably uh, was. I, I loved it. It
1: was so good. Yeah. So I I like was obsessed with it. I definitely remember still most of the stories. But I did I did a lot of research here to see like what what was different in the Hades town. Mm-hmm. Um it's interesting. I think that there's there are a few I pretty much, for the most part, agree with the changes she made. Like, I think that they they don't drastically change the story and they update it in a good way. Uh, But I have seen a little, like, debate on one particular point. So I definitely want to bring that one up. Okay. so the the first two, though, that I don't think are really controversial. The first is that Demeter is just, like, not really a part of the story. In in Greek mythology, Mm -hmm. Demeter is Persephone's mother. Um, mm-hmm. another aspect of it is that she is Hades' sister. So, but like all incest is just integral to all the Greek gods. You have to get it.
0: Oh yeah, they love yeah, you
1: have to sisters and brothers. <laughs> so anyway, Demeter, she's like the goddess of the seasons and uh, harvest and all this stuff. And it's I think she's left out because what they do is play up the fact like the, the love between Persephone and Hades causing issues on earth and i i I understand that so yeah they kind of lessen her role they do kind of refer to her a couple times like both as Demeter and and as like mother earth kind of um but yeah the second is that eurydice's original death in the myth is that she gets bitten by a snake whereas this one she like pretty much chooses death for the safety net and i really like the new interpretation of that i like that too yeah because it's like survival and I think it helps to portray the message that I've been talking about among all these different factors in society. The last <laughs> is between Persephone and Hades and in Hades Town, the musical, Persephone is very much in love with Hades. Like they have their issues, they fight, whatever, but like they have a really deep love connection. In the myth of like in, in Greek mythology, Hades literally, like, kidnaps kidnaps, Persephone as a young, like, young girl, and, like, it's not, it's not something she, like, wants. Like, (laughs) she's very much, like, I would say trapped, and it's very much they're not in love, because what the myth is is that every like every year he'll let her out of the underworld for six months, and that's when the seasons come that's yeah. how we get spring. exactly yeah. mm-hmm. and then it flourishes, but then she has to go back down and it's a very like contractual like tragedy kind of thing. My take is I love the new working of it. I think that like i I think that it gives Persephone a lot more of a voice and Agency. Mm-hmm. I've seen mm-hmm. arguments made that it's like in bad taste to re portray the original story, which was more of like a kidnapping and like a rape, pretty much, situation. Here's my take though I agree that, like, if this were based on something that was real, I think that it That's would be was inappropriate to, <laughs> to yeah. do that. But, like, this is a myth, and, like, honestly. That interpretation cut it in 2000 BC, whatever. Like that was an okay interpretation because that was kind of like in line with society at that time. That's not the case today, and I think that updating it was really good. I I don't think that they have to explain it, and also it doesn't change the story. It just like makes Persephone, mm-hmm. I think, a more like empowered and in her own agency character, and more interesting. Yeah, agreed.
0: Yeah. No, I agree. I think, like, it's not real at the end of the day, so, like, people can change, have those, like, interpretations changed, and I don't think that's really problematic, in my opinion. Yes. Yeah.
1: Okay, so those are most of the big thoughts. What I want to do, lastly, is kind of just walk through really quickly the whole show and kind of read it now, like I did in the beginning, but through the, like, socialist lens. So... (gasps) We open and we see Eurydice Eurydice as the individualist for survival, but like very much on her own. And then Orpheus as this collectivist person that believes in like big thinking Mm -hmm. and freedom and other ideals like that. So it's fun and it works, but eventually Eurydice's circumstances lead her to sell her soul to the devil, capitalism, (laughs) Um, mm-hmm. And she literally, like, actual literally trades away her humanity, being a human. <laughs> she trades that for safety, and that decision is made in total fear out of, like, survival. So mm-hmm. I think that leads to this really interesting point that is portrayed through the underworld, which is that life under capitalism leads to, like, the the metaphorical loss of your soul, of your individuality. And that the irony of all of this is that through individualist thinking, we lose all of the things that make us individuals. Like that collectivism Mm -hmm. is the true path to having individual enlightenment. And I think that shows a lot in this show. Um, I also think that Orpheus unknowingly radicalizes and organizes the factory workers of hell <laughs> through his... With this song. song. Yeah. <laughs> and once they awaken, they, like, start to, like, organize and, and bow to seize the means of production, of what, of what they're doing for building this wall to keep them safe. Like, they realize they're literally, like, being kept alive by scraps. They're not happy. They're not meaningful. They're losing their own individual identity. And ultimately, like, Orpheus fails... And dooms your seed to an afterlife in in this underworld. But to me, it's still implied that some sort of social revolution occurred because of the events that took place in this story. Like, Mm -hmm. it's both a bleak and a hopeful ending to me. And I love that. I live in the gray area, and I love that.
0: I love the gray area. (laughs) my favorite thing
1: that to me is what the story really is is about socialism maybe i'm reading too much into it but like i it feels really clear to me
0: especially with the imagery and stuff like the coal miner like yeah i don't think you're reading too far into it
1: especially one thing i want to talk about to end this all is the ending which i love so at the end basically it's like a whole cyclical thing like he comes back up and, and starts, like, singing a song, and it basically, like, starts again at the very beginning of the show. Mm-hmm. It reminded me a lot of Once on This Island, another fave of mine, where at mm-hmm. the end it starts all over, and, the, and it kind of, like, moves to this meta level, like, okay, now that you've seen this story, audience member, like, this is the importance of storytelling in the first place. Um, and I think mm-hmm. that Town has a vibe from that. And what I take from Town that I kind of alluded to when I talked about Oklahoma is that myths and, like, these old stories should be retold. And while they can be mm-hmm. updated and modernized, they don't have to be changed, that we can keep telling the same story over and over and over, and they will continue to to be profound to every audience and will have meaning. Mm-hmm. And I think that, the re- like, what really drives that home for me is at the beginning when Hermes like straight up says this is a tragic tale and I still was left with so much hope like in the show that like maybe it won't happen maybe Orpheus will save her like you you know the end Mm -hmm. and you still think that it might be something and yeah and then they tell the story again and you know how it's going to end and despite that, you still continue telling the story, and I think that's really beautiful. Again, I think it like moves to this meta point about the purpose of theater and storytelling and art and connection and how integral that is to our humanity. So, period. Yes, love the show. Love it. Done.
0: That's beautiful. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I think we picked two goodies. Yeah, this I'm week. happy we ended. I feel with good these. about it. I know. Me too. Instead of like. Shows we hate or <laughs> um, So uh, let's move on to recreate. Let's do it. So mine will be fairly short. Okay. So, as I said up front, Oklahoma is like having a real moment right now. I don't know if you watched Watchmen or I'm thinking of ending things, but. So, I feel like it's been in the collective consciousness in a way that I think like musicals are are doing a little more in general. Like, a bunch of Sondheim stuff was in um, Marriage Story, you know? Mm-hmm. So, it's happening. Go to the theater. It's great. But there's a pandemic, so it's okay if you can. <laughs> uh, and it's really expensive. so. <laughs> um, but I think the inclusion in Important Works is, like, kind of a part of the re-considering re-con- Oklahoma that I talked about as well. And they've been been including songs that are symbolic of some larger theme in the movie or TV show, as well as, like, a larger theme in the um, show. Mm -hmm. itself. So, in Watchmen, they use the song, Poor Judd is Dead. And I guess, spoiler alert for Watchmen, but they use it at a point, um, the police officer, who ends up being a white supremacist, is named Judd, and at the beginning of the series, he's, like, found hanging from a tree. And poor Judd is dead, like, plays over the thing. They also have, like, a part of the... There's a part in the first episode where, like, all the characters go to an all-black version of Oklahoma. And in I'm Thinking of Ending Things, which is a Netflix movie, Charlie Kaufman movie, it came out last year, or two years ago, I think. I can't remember, last year or two years ago. Time is blurring. Um, but they do a dream ballet at the end. I I don't, I can't really spoil that movie. It's (laughs) fucking weird. They do like a dream ballet that is very, very similar to kind of what actually happens in the dream ballet, which I guess I should describe a little bit. So like Lori imagines that she is like being romantic with Curly. It's kind of their really like first real romantic moment in the show where they're not kind of negging each other back and forth. And then Judd kind of comes and, like, steals her away. It's implied that he rapes her and kind of takes her down a dark path. And then Curly and Judd fight, and I believe Judd ends up killing Curly. And that's what happens. And the dream ballet sequence in I'm Thinking of Anythings kind of follows that same narrative, but just with, like, three people. Um, And at the end of I'm Thinking of Anythings, Jesse Plemons stands up in front of a room of people and sings Lonely Room. So... I don't know how to explain it to you. You gotta watch it. It's weird. <laughs> um, um, so, for my recreate, I'm kind of gonna go a little weird, but I was thinking like whether it's a musical that the public conception of will greatly change, kind of. And I don't know if like people in the 1950s were like, wow, Oklahoma is about othering, or they thought it was happy, but I think like. Oklahoma as a collective consciousness thing for us has been like, yay, Oklahoma! And that conception of it is changing. Or a musical that I think will have staying power. And I've gathered some that I think fit both of those, some that I think hit one of those, etc. What, like, 50 years from now is the song that will appear in, like, a movie or a TV show that is, like, supposed to convey some larger theme of the TV show and the musical itself? If that makes mm-hmm. sense, does that make yeah. sense? Like, what's the song that we'll use for these musicals? That okay. I um. So, like, for example, it doesn't have to be the song that you like first think of, right? So, like, when I first think of Oklahoma, I think of "Oh, What a Beautiful Morning" or "People will Say We're in Love," but the songs that people are using are, funnily enough, Jed adjacent songs, Judd adjacent songs. So, poor Judd is dead in lonely room. So. Not necessarily the song you think of first, but what song, like, really gets at the heart of that show or really gets at the heart of, like, some larger theme about us as a society. Um, So, again, I've gathered some musicals, either ones that I think, like, will have maybe, like, a turning point in how we think of them or that have staying power or both, whatever. And I've picked my picks for these, and then I want you to pick yours. Okay.
1: Can, can but you have to say first. Yeah, I was going to say I need to do mine first because yours is probably <laughs> yeah. going to
0: influence me. Yeah. Okay. So the first musical we've got is Wicked. So what is the song from Wicked that you think like 50 years from now they might use to portray something for good? Okay, I picked Wonderful. <laughs> oh,
1: interesting. <laughs>
0: Yeah, this is kind of hard for me because I, I think I gravitate towards things that sound more classical because I think of, like, um and again, like like I said, like, something from The King and I was in Promising Young Woman, which I think was, like, used to great effect. And, like, so for some reason I go, like, more, like, traditional sounding, I think, for these, but whatever. um Chicago.
1: Mm. Razzle dazzle.
0: I also picked wrestling.
1: That's Dazzle. like the whole. It's like all about the design. yes,
0: <laughs> and that is literally what Chicago yeah. is like. Just fool them. them the it's Razzle all Dazzle. a show, Dazzle. bitch. Yeah. All right, Hades Town.
1: Mm. Honestly, when the chips are down.
0: Ooh, interesting. Ooh, I, I had a hard time with this. I wanted to go with, like, a Patrick Page joint because I love his voice so much, and I can, like, see yeah. it in my head, like, them wanting to use that hey, voice over. Little songbird. <laughs> yeah. Which is one of the songs I picked. I had, like, Hey, Little Songbird or Why We Build the Wall. Like, I could just yeah. see it, you know? Next, we've got Ragtime.
1: Your Daddy's Son.
0: Which I don't think we've done. That's what I picked. Yeah, period. (laughs) It's a hustle. down. Of course. Um, Spring Awakening.
1: Um, Oh, I'm torn between two. I'm torn between The Dark I Know Well and Song of Mm. Purple Summer.
0: Ooh, I picked Blue Wind. But just Blue Wind. Mm. Not I don't do sadness. Okay. I don't know. That one's always, like, more wistful to me. Yeah. And I can see it, like... you know over like memories or flashbacks or something okay Hamilton
1: (laughs) damn um
0: this was hard for me and then it wasn't
1: okay I need to look at like there's so many songs from Hamilton I'm just gonna look at it really quick I know it's fucking long honestly (laughs) Yorktown (laughs) that the the true (laughs) act one closer in my mind
0: my goodness okay I said history has its eyes on you okay I think
1: that's a better this one was
0: kind (laughs) of (laughs) hard I like Yorktown I like Yorktown um the light in the piazza um a musical I love we should do that one but
1: I'm gonna be honest I really only can think of the light in the piazza
0: (laughs) that's the song I picked but like because it's so like it's so beautiful and like I don't know you could see it like playing over something and then, last but not least, um, Shrek.
1: <laughs> mm. That's just wow. for you. Just for me.
0: Mhm.
1: Um. I mean, you know how I feel about the song. We're freak gonna flag. reconceptualize.
0: I picked Freak Flag.
1: <laughs> I was gonna say Freak Flag <laughs> or who I'd be, um, but oh, Freak Flag, I beautiful. think, is the one.
0: We're gonna reconceptualize Shrek in the cultural consciousness.
1: Just wait. I'm, yeah. It's. I think we already have.
0: okay that's the end of mine um yeah
1: love okay so um for mine okay so as I mentioned I love Greek mythology so much so I really wanted to do something with that and another thing I really wanted to uh play on like something a trend that I think is popular right now which I did recently for of recent episode. I can't remember which one. Maybe Come From Away. The one where I did the mm-hmm. Betsy Ross musical. Yes. <laughs> no,
0: it was... um, It was... um, Oh, my God. I forget. It wasn't Come From Away. Yeah.
1: Whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the thing that I want to talk about, or the thing that I think is popular, is, like, shows about historical figures or stories, but told to mm-hmm. modern or, like, unexpected music. Yeah. Um. So, my recreate, I'm going to just propose three Greek stories that I think should be made into musicals um, and then what style of music they should be in with some like artist inspiration.
0: Wow. That's great.
1: Okay. So Greek, Greek person, number one, Greek mythology person, (laughs) number one, um, who is my personal favorite Greek goddess um, or anyone, which is Artemis. (laughs) I've always been an Artemis fan, so Artemis is the goddess of the hunt, of wilderness, of animals, of the moon, and of young girls, Um, and Mm -hmm. she is Apollo's twin, so uh, my concept for this is I want a fucking Latina Artemis, bitch, (laughs) so the vibe of the music would be kind of like Tejano, like uh, late 90s early 2000s vibes of of latin music Selena
0: vibes Yes
1: so the the, mm-hmm. the, the um mm-hmm. inspiration would be Selena, Elvis Crespo, Gloria Estefan and Celia Cruz So that's going to be the Artemis musical The next is I want to do something with Demeter which I think would be really cool to do some kind of tie-in with Hadestown Town or
0: like a, double
1: feature. a nod or something like that. Yeah. Or just mm-hmm. let um Amber Gray play Persephone again, because I want to do that <laughs> yeah. again and forever. Um, so Demeter <laughs> is the goddess of grain, agriculture, harvest and nourishment. Um and I I would want the vibe of this show to be very like neo-soul. Um, and I would like that it's like the inspiration to be like Erica Badu, Lauren Hill, SZA, Jill Yay. Scott, Jasmine Sullivan, and to have like a really earthy, flowy, like neo soul vibe. Awesome. And then the last. So since um, Hades Town, I mean, I, I think there's an argument to be made around who is the main like character or couple in the show um the Tonys saw it as Eurydice and Orpheus as the leads and mm-hmm. um Hades and Persephone as the supporting i don't know if i'm on board with that but that's another story but because <laughs> this one technically you could say is about like a hero in Orpheus and it is not a god i was like another greek hero that we could do a musical to and i decided on De- Daedalus um who is Ooh. like an architect craftsman dude he built uh-huh. he built the labyrinth for um mm-hmm. uh what's his name king minos um that like imprisoned the minotaur
0: the minotaur i built i built the labyrinth in really project in fifth grade oh yeah was bad i used like clay and stuff yeah well that's that <laughs>
1: um, so the vibe honestly i think this one's my favorite that i want to happen the vibe actually no it's artemis but anyway <laughs> the music here i would want it to be like cyber techno music I'm, okay. And what I'm imagining is like a really interesting, like computery, robotic, fast-moving vibe. Like when you're traversing mm-hmm. through the labyrinth, for example, it'd be like you're in a K-hole. Like it's really like beep booping everywhere. <laughs> so the inspiration <laughs> for this musical would be Sophie, FKA Twigs,
0: Grimes, oh, yeah.
1: Skrillex, a hundred gex, like very that. So that would be the Deadliest Musical.
0: Wow. I
1: love
0: that.
1: That's Thank super fun. Thank you. <laughs> oh, well, That's a wrap. we did it. <laughs> Bye.
0: <laughs> Goodbye.
1: Uh, I cannot oh believe this, God. though. I This is, okay, really, it, like, part of me feels like we've just kind of not been doing, like, season two for, like, that long. But I was thinking about it the other day, Sammy, and we start. I think we started, like, the planning process in March and like our first yeah, recording did. in early April and today is mm-hmm. September 8th we're recording the day before we we're posting our last episode <laughs> so
0: yes we're <laughs> we're so prepared yeah we've been doing this for so long yeah. and if you made it this far like thank you so yeah, much yeah you're that's a real amazing. one you're a real one you really are <laughs> and we'll be back for season three if that's if what we ever knew wish.
1: Yeah, um, like, I know. Fingers crossed. Like, we've only talked about 64 <laughs> musicals. There's at least 100-something.
0: There are <laughs> so many musicals. Yeah. Um, ra- we haven't talked about Ragtime or the Light in the Ratatouille. Ratatouille, the <laughs> musical. Or, I don't know. Um, there is one Starlight musical we, we specifically,
1: <laughs> like, agreed to do on Season 3, and I don't remember what it is. But, like, from one of our oh, social media again. accounts, I said that we would.
0: Okay. It's okay. once. Well, we'll, we'll yes oh yeah because we did an because not <laughs> once the musical yeah, yeah. we'll do once yeah. i can i can i can do once okay well guys i mean thanks
1: thank oh, you. we time? love you send us any yeah. suggestions that you want to hear for um, musicals on season three we it, like literally will add every single suggestion to our draft list and like mm-hmm. also if we get one with a lot of votes that might just be a shoe in yeah. I don't okay. know if we're going to do a fan chosen episode this season, this next season,
0: though. <laughs> Unless you guys can get it together. Like, it's just, is, like, lowest common
1: denominator. Like, because a lot of shows, like, would make it, but then it would, like, a more indie show would go up against, like, Book of Mormon and just lose. Yeah. Ugh,
0: Just kidding. <laughs> um, but I mean, follow us on Twitter. Keep mm-hmm. doing it. We're at Rate Debate One, and on TikTok and Instagram we're at Rate Debate Recreate. So, yes, we are. Hit
1: so we'll see you there, and we'll we'll still be active on those accounts, but we'll definitely be yeah. taking uh, a, a break. A <laughs> yeah. I think um, we both need yeah. I think we both really need a break. Um. Yeah, my
0: voice is slowly going throughout this whole thing, yeah. so yeah. But, Thank you all so much.
1: And see
0: you on
1: season
0: three. Bye. Yeah. Bye.